As I said, it is one bad video full of stereotypes that are meant to make us laugh. And why do we laugh? Because there might be some truth to the stereotypes. So yeah, it's the Sunday before Father's Day, and next week with the car show, there'll be no worship service the way we normally do them. The way we're asking you to worship is to worship by serving. The Apostle Paul in places like Romans 12 links service with worship. We worship God as we serve him. So let me remind you, there will be no regular worship services next Sunday, no Kid City, but we still want you to come and worship by serving at the car show. And if you've not already signed up, go to fortcity.info and click on the car show link there and, and just come out with your family and, and enjoy the car show as well. So that means this week I want to honor the men and the fathers of Fort City and do it in an age when our culture is working to cancel men from expressing their masculinity even in healthy, noble ways. And I want to say thank you to all of the men here who take their passion to love and serve and protect and provide for their family and those that they work with and, and play with and use those passions in a noble, healthy way. You men rock and your homes in this church would not be what they are uh, without you. Now, when it comes to issues of sexuality and gender, we are shaped by the homes we're raised in, the, the churches we attended if we grew up in church, and by the culture that we are living in the middle of. Let me give you a peek into my early days. My mom, bless her, was a well-intentioned safety freak. Stereotypically, as the mom of our family, she, she took the lead to make sure that we lived safe lives. Truth is, she was a somewhat fearful woman, so much so that she never learned how to drive. This did not bode well for her eldest son, me, who had this adventuresome spirit from birth. Everything I did terrorized her. When I was four, my hero, my, my Uncle Wallace from Ship Harbor, Nova Scotia, gave me a Red Rider BB gun as a birthday present. His thinking, no self-respecting boy should be without one. You've got to start him young. And oh my, did my mother ever freak out. I don't remember much about being four, but I do remember that birthday. I was in awe that my Uncle Wallace would give me such a gift, and my mother was determined that I would never lay a finger on such an instrument of evil. So mom confiscated that gun while at the same time uh, probably cursing the redneck maritime family that my father came from, and I just wasn't impressed to have that gun taken away from me. Dad, a nobleman in so many ways, wisely bought me a replacement for the gun, a much less damaging toy that shot ping-pong balls without doing much damage. I thought it was cool. It bonded me to my father, and what he did for me was actually big. If any of you have seen the 1950s movie, I know that's dating, but it, it does keep coming out. The 1950s movie, A Christmas Story, I identified very closely and emotionally with Ralphie's passion to own a Red Ryder BB gun. And his mom, like my mom, was adamantly opposed. Ralphie, you'll shoot your eye out. I watched Westerns on TV, Bonanza and Gunsmoke, pretty innocent when you compare them to what Westerns look like today, but still problematic in the view of some. Because there is a growing movement today that is getting stronger every year that sees movies like A Christmas Story, Westerns like Bonanza and Gunsmoke, and what my Uncle Wallace did as encouraging toxic masculinity. And our world is very much focused on spelling out all of the ways that men can be toxic. And sadly, there is no question, they can be. So the finger is pointed at toxic masculinity while at the same time denying that there's anything that can be called noble masculinity. 
And our culture today just wants to blur the differences between the sexes, uh, allow gender to become fluid and emasculate men who have any desire to use their masculinity in a positive, you know, life-giving, God-glorifying, uh, God-glorifying way. Now, I, I'm not going to leap into the complexity of what is happening in our culture about sexuality and gender. I have done that before, and I will probably do it again. But let me just make a couple of statements about men and women, because if you are church-raised, uh, you are aware that churches vary in how they understand the role of men and women. When it comes to the home, whether you come from a church that emphasized the authority of the husband or you're from a church like Fort City where we believe that men and women need to show equal regard in marriage, my experience is whether you're from a, a more authoritative uh, men are the leader of the home or a more equal regard leadership is shared in the home, wherever you stand, as I've observed homes, they operate pretty much the same way. I, I really don't see much difference in those homes. Men and women, whatever their church upbringing, tend to lovingly leverage each other's gifts and strengths. One does not run roughshod over the other. They simply love and care for each other. And in the end, whatever your church background, most Christians are just doing, as the Apostle Paul said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what I would say is that biblical submission starts with mutual submission, just like Paul starts with mutual submission, choosing to meet each other's needs. This was radical teaching in an incredibly patriarchal culture of both Roman and Jewish worlds of the early church. Paul is skillfully moving the church to a new set of equal regard values without totally alienating Christians from the uh, patriarchal world that they were living in. What he does is brilliant. Men and women are to submit to meeting each other's needs, and you'll see this theme elsewhere in Paul. And Paul, in that same passage, points out that there is a drive in men that's a little different than a drive in women. Both drives are found in men and women, but one tends to be stronger in men and the other tends to be stronger in women. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. I don't have time to unpack what's going on in the culture of Paul's day that caused him to call on men to love their wives not once, but four times in that short passage. Paul simply wanted men to know that women need to experience the love of a good, noble man. They need to experience it. They need to feel it. <clears throat> men, the, the call on you is to love your wife. You submitting to meeting the needs of your wife by figuring out how to express love in a way that she knows very deeply uh, and very real that the love is there. And then the call on women is to submit to meeting the needs of her husband by showing him respect. Like, what's that all about? Well, I think uh, Paul is on to something. Uh, deep down, excuse me, most men generally have the need to be respected and respected as men. Something that today's culture is pushing against, but it's not going to go away. It's wired in there deeply, but what does that mean? As I talk with men and get into what drives them, often husbands, dads, and singles as well, a, a number of deep passions surface in these conversations. Often I hear about the, the passion to serve, provide for, and protect for one's family and friends as a way to show love. Now, how a man defines service and how a woman defines service is not always identical. You may have noticed that. How a man expresses love and what a woman needs to experience love is not always identical. 
So this is stuff that we have to figure out as we go through life, as we get married and have kids. We need to learn each other's love languages. And this is where I'm going to get into stereotypes. The reason stereotypes exist is there's some truth to them. The problem with stereotypes is not everyone fits them. So I have to hang on to the stereotypes loosely, but I don't totally abandon them. Our, our culture today is concerned about forcing people to fit with these stereotypes. And I understand that. I get that. Uh, I don't force everyone into the mold, but I just don't let go of it either. Fact is, they are deeply wired into most of us. Men and women, we have stuff deeply wired into us. So you've got, like, chick flicks in the women's network, right? And, and you've got man movies, and can a man enjoy a chick flick? Some do, many do. Can a woman enjoy a man movie? Oh, yeah, many do, depending who the guy is. But anyways, but still, we understand that there's something to these different movie genres, right? And, and even as gender identity becomes increasingly fluid in our culture, I don't think we'll ever lose uh, the ability men and women have to identify with elements of these stereotypes. One of my eye-opening experiences about how entrenched these stereotypes are was a, a series of trips I took into the remote jungles of Papua, Indonesia, to connect with tribal people who had very little contact at all with the Western world and very little contact with the Indonesian world that they were a part of. The men saw their role as to serve and protect. They saw themselves as warriors to protect the family. They built the homes. They plowed the gardens and made them ready for the women. They did the farming and tended to do more of the nurturing work of the kids. But dads also had their role to play, and the men were the hunters. Now, the various tribes and their, off and their differing languages, they, they didn't always get along with each other, uh, especially when there was a need for better land. And as you enter my home, you will see a primitive bow and a set of arrows from Papua. Uh, the guy or the warrior who sold them to me had used them for hunting uh, and for war. He showed me which hour arrows had taken a pig and which arrows had wounded a person or even taken one. Great pride as he told me the story about each of the arrows. I now own these gently used arrows. One guy showed me the wounds on his body from being hit by arrows in war. He showed me which one hurt the most, which one almost killed them, and they were all badges of honor. Several of the guys I, I took on one of these trips were archery hunters back in Thunder Bay, and, and we had a shooting competition with the Warriors, and, and my Ontario boys actually won the competition. While the respect and admiration for these guys went sky high, the Warriors were shocked and held these guys in high esteem. I showed them pictures of moose and deer that I had taken, and wow, they just oohed and awed. What's going on there? Well, there's kind of a, a stereotype at work there, right? It's a stereotype that can be leveraged for good and noble purposes, or it can become toxic. Not that this isn't found in women as well, it is, but core to men, many men anyways, is a, a bit of this warrior spirit to fight for your friends and family. It's a, it's a passion or, or a heartfelt commitment towards a cause. It's just this desire to make a difference. And it's not that many women don't also possess this warrior spirit. It, it just, it appears to me to be more deeply entrenched in men. And certainly, men are much more likely to use this drive in toxic, damaging ways. And, and that's a bit telling. This warrior spirit can be redeemed for good and noble purposes, or it can become devastatingly destructive. Let me throw some stats at you. Women commit perhaps one-tenth of all murders, and get this, women are involved in less than one-tenth of one percent of all mass shootings. One-tenth of one percent of all mass shootings. 
Is a country more likely to go to war if it's led by a man or by a woman? In Russia, Putin is considered to be a man's man. He goes to the gym. He's in good shape. He's passionate about what he believes in. But he's allowed the warrior spirit to move from doing good to moving to doing evil. I mean, what, what drives a leader to destroy entire cities, drop bombs on their neighbors, invading and seeking to conquer a free land to make it his own? Yes, I do believe that there's a God-given warrior spirit entrenched in most men that when channeled properly does so much good in our world, but when left unredeemed can also be so destructive. You all know uh, that the plague of sexual abuse is driven mostly by men. The trafficking of 48 million people worldwide is largely to serve sick men who feel entitled to use their strength to dominate and pervert. It's, it's inexcusable. It's toxic. Yet part of what it means to be a noble man is to have this almost warrior spirit in you, to, to love and to serve, this, this spirit that arises in a man when he loves uh, something or someone more than he does himself, and it drives him to want to provide for and to protect others. And, and when those he loves are, are threatened by that warrior spirit, uh, it just, it, when those he loves are just threatened by something, I should say, out there, that spirit just kicks in as it should. Now, I'm not saying that it needs to be violent, just that it helps serve those that they love by finding ways to protect where needed. I, I've used this biblical story before when talking about noble manhood, but, and it is a story that some women will identify with, but my guess is men a little more. It's all about warfare and the skills of battle that God wants his people to possess. The ancient nation of Israel, under the leading of God, had battled their way into the promised land. They had, with God's help, won many victories. Under a brilliant, spiritually strong military general named Joshua, they had conquered almost all the land that God had promised to Israel. But not all of it. Most of it. Not all of it. Along the northern and western boundaries of that land, large groups of enemies still existed. The question is, why did God not give them complete conquest of the land? And why did they not get total victory? We read in the Old Testament book of Judges the reason for God holding back on leading Israel to total victory. We believe that it's the prophet Samuel who wrote this book. So Samuel writes, These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. There it is. There is the reason God did not let Israel conquer all of the land promised to them. He wanted later generations to know how to fight. He did not want one generation to conquer all the land so that the later generations became soft, lacking a warrior spirit. The new generations would have to fight. They would have to defend Israel's borders. This is a principle that I think goes well beyond Old Testament Israel and needs to be part of the church today, and especially the men of the church today, but not only the men, but yes, men in particular. Let me quote uh, Stephen Mansfield. He's got a couple of podcasts I listen to and writes a number of books that I appreciate, and he's a bit of an influence on this part of my message. He says, We are not meant to have our battles won for us. We are not meant to dissolve into softness and luxury because previous generations have won a measure of victory for us. We have battles of our own to win. To be men, to be good, noble men, we must be warriors of some sort. Or, or to use a term that you've heard me use around here, uh, gracious barbarians, if you've been around for any length of time. 
much of what uh, we as men are, are made to do is about battle in some sense. It's about going to war of some sort or another. It's about standing for family, standing for good, standing for what's right. While historically that has meant bloody conflict and still does in parts of the world today, that, that's not what I'm thinking of. The, the battles that I'm thinking of include, well, the battle for self-mastery, self-control. We've got to battle some of those lesser drives, sinful drives, addicting drives, and, and be all that we can be in the power of the Holy Spirit, and this means war. The battle to protect what is important. We stand at the boundaries of those who are closest to us, our wives, our children, our extended families, our friends, and we contend for their good. We contend for their future, for their destiny. And that means we pray. We fight spiritual battles. We contend in godly ways for the well-being of our families, for the people we live with, work with, and play with. I think a lot of the battles that we are engaged in are largely invisible. The battle for ourselves and dark spiritual forces and destructive ideas that those forces promote in our world. We contend at work. We contend for the financial health of our families and those causes we support like our church. And we push back against unclean things that maybe in some cases have been passed down through family lines. Friends, I have heroism that you can find in my family line, and I want to contend for that, not the racism that sadly can also be found in my family line. You too, right? We promote graciousness, not drunkenness. There is both graciousness and drunkenness in my family background, so my calling is to contend for graciousness and war against the drunkenness. I, I get that a lot of women are saying, hey, dog, wait a minute, I feel a lot of this stuff too, and that's awesome. Many of the passions that are a part of men are found in women, and many of the passions uh, of women are found in men, but men do have this drive to serve, to protect, to provide as a way to express love, and we need to honor that, celebrate that, respect that, and we need to help men use those drives in healthy ways. Getting the warrior spirit of a gracious barbarian will not come from, you know, watching more war movies or wearing camouflage, yada, 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 right? It has to start as a work of God. He, he created us. And I believe God intended us to know how to fight the righteous fights of our lives. And it's not done on our own. It's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So with Father's Day a week away, to the men here and to the men watching online, here's my challenge to you. Pray. And ask God to open your eyes to the true spiritual battles of your life. Most men aren't warriors because they don't know that they're in a fight. Most guys I know, even, even Christian guys, tend to see the world in natural terms and they don't know that there is an unseen enemy at work. But here's the truth. Darkness is always on the edge of our hearts and minds, trying to draw us into porn, trying to draw us into affair, into an addiction, into raging ways, into violence, trying, you know, to move us into financial dishonesty and a, a thousand other bondages that seek to ruin our lives. And so we fight back. We call in the artillery of the Holy Spirit, and we win. And I know that this is not just men, but it is men. And as men, we need to rise up and fight in the power of the Holy Spirit. So to the men of Fort City, you have a drive to serve, to provide, to protect, to love. You have a drive to fight for what's right. And my challenge to you is to constantly pray, Lord Jesus, open my eyes that I may see. Show me the battle so that I may step into it and fight in the power of the Holy Spirit.
Fight for yourself. Fight for your wholeness. Fight for your marriage with love and service. Fight for your kids and their future. Fight for your work by being the best that you can be. Fight for your church by stepping up and getting involved and giving. And fight for your city and country by being an engaged citizen who participates in our city and country in God-honoring, kingdom-advancing ways. And yes, this goes for women as well, but if we could all encourage our men to be warriors, to be gracious barbarians, our, our homes, our church, our city, our country would be healthier and stronger. Join with me as we pray, uh, and, and just pray this prayer with me. And this is not just for men, although it might sound that way. All of us, we can pray this in our own hearts to God. So just join with me and make this your own prayer. Father God, open my eyes to the battles you're calling me into. Fill me with your spirit to fight the battle in your strength, in your way. Teach me to take up the weapon of prayer to move with love. Train me to be a family changer, a work changer, a city changer, even a world changer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.